0: Gene Kim, and I welcome you to On Death, the podcast where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am, before I die I want, when I die I want, and after I die I want. This week we sit down with Nate Baker. Nate is a 33-year-old emergency medicine resident physician, father of three, and Purple Heart recipient for wounds received in combat. I have known Nate since the very first days of medical school. He is a passionate and logical fellow who loves to challenge the status quo. During this conversation, we discussed the value of song to change our mental state, his experience as a wounded infantryman, and what heaven means for a problem solver. Before we talk more about Nate and this really a great conversation, it was it was so much fun. You'll have a blast listening to it. Um, I want to talk about my long-form Sunday's posts. These are my weekly reflections of medical school or medical education from the very first lab of med, of um, medical school, first, blah, blah, let me restart that. From the very first anatomy lab of medical school to now, ending my first month of residency as a first year resident. Um, and you can find all of these on Amazon if you search for On the Education of a Physician or Physician Education. Uh, there you'll find the collected Kindle and uh, paperback copies. Uh, just so you know, I don't make anything off, Redbakes, right? Basically, don't make anything off the paperback. It's mostly cost of printing, and you can also find all of the uh, reflections online for free at eugeneh.kim. That's eugene dot K-I-M. I swear it's a website. I promise. So, uh, on, on July 7th, 2019, I published On Growth and Trunks. This week, I reflected on a rookie mistake with a patient and her mother, as well as the division of my life into four-year trunks. I wonder how this trunk, which is just beginning, will differ from, fa- from past trunks. Then on July 14th, 2019, I published On Chopping Wood and Carrying Water. This week, I reflected upon a Zen Buddhist saying that has been rolling around in my head for the past weeks chop wood, carry water. I think about the daily tasks which require a bit of attention every day and how these tasks keep me humble and in my place. So again, you can find those at www.eugeneh.kim. So back to Nate. Nate is a problem solver. Before Nate dies, he wants to help people understand what it means to be happy. When Nate dies, he wants to be happy. And after Nate dies, he wants to have a purpose or nothing. And in conclusion, Nate says, if I struck a chord with you, or you're more interested, the book that I'm writing, I'm going to make it free, available as an ebook, and it's going to be called How Christians Are Failing Christ. So keep that in mind. And we'll, uh, we don't talk, we talk a little bit about the that book that he wrote, Christians are F- How Christians Are Failing Christ, in the, uh, uh, in the actual interview, but we talk a lot about it in the intro. And I think that, and so what I'm, going to do is I'm going to slot the warm-up questions in behind the interview and you can hear uh if you're if you're interested you can hear a little bit more about the reasoning behind the book and then I'm also going to include a link to the book um to to the like the word document um in the show notes so if you're interested he's a very he's a good writer and he's, he's a funny guy so this was a really great conversation. I uh, as I mentioned earlier, Nate is uh, he likes to challenge the status quo. He's very logical. he loves to be rational and logic his way into arguments and uh, and sometimes he'll logic his way out of arguments, who knows he's great he's he's a very interesting fellow and I always knew him as uh the guy that liked to argue and then I also found out that he was uh wounded in Afghanistan um in 2012 uh in combat and uh I was also like oh I want to hear that story one day and then uh, as we finished up medical school and as we were kind of all everyone was getting ready to head our separate ways I was like Nate I want to sit down with you I want to talk with you I want to hear the story and I did, and uh, you you I think you will laugh. I laugh too at how we get into the story. It's not exactly how you would expect him to talk about his uh, combat experience, but it, it's a, it's in a very neat way. It's how he talks about it, and so we i really had a blast um you know him talking about how it, what it was like to be a new father and deployed um overseas um what it was like for him to get into the military thinking that he was going to get uh, medical school paid for all of that kind of stuff uh, it was really a great time and um, also, he just actually, used that little ping that was uh, his email address. And just so you know, his uh, an email address to send to him, uh, if you want to contact him more, talk, you know, argue with him about Christianity, which I'm sure he would love. Uh, it would be Baker 2 at gmail.com. That's N-A-T-H-A-N-E-L dot J dot B-A-K-E-R 2 at the number 2 at gmail.com and I'll put that in the show notes for you just so you know we can stir up the pot and get people all yelling at Nate about how the Christian anyway uh so this was a really great conversation I had a lot of fun um Nate is a very fun guy and you know he he was definitely the most one of the most relaxed people in medical school but he also had three kids running around at home and uh I was just like how are you doing this and I think uh, the way that he approaches the world as a problem solver is a very interesting way to approach the world. And it's also, it gives him this very interesting lens and, and perspective on uh, how to live life. And so um, I hope you uh, are ready. Uh, you, you got something, some background noise or some background activities so that you can listen to this really great conversation with Nate Baker on death. It is April 14th, 2019. I'm sitting here in my Coopersburg home, and we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Nate, what are the four prompts?
1: So I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, after I die,
0: I want. Excellent. And how do you finish that first prompt, I am? I am a problem solver. Yes, you are. (laughs) Yes, you are a problem solver. What does that mean to you? So... uh,
1: That's just sort of my perspective on life. Uh, I I want to fix everything I can fix. So if I see something wrong, I want to change it to the best of my ability. But I think, too, I think a lot of people that have that same perspective sometimes get too hung up when they're unable to fix things. Mm. Um, But I think so... That's the thing is you got to do what you can. And if, you, if it's beyond your capability, you need to let it go. <laughs> so okay. I think that's the struggle in being a problem solver. But
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, two questions I have for you or is have you been a problem solver your whole life? And the second one is how did you get that, like, distance on being able to say, like, oh, I can't solve this problem, and that's okay with me. Or, like, I don't need to, like, feel like a bad person for being unable to solve it.
1: So you know what? So I think it has been most of my life. Yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> So when I was eight years old, I took over my brother's paper route because I wanted to buy. Uh, what was it at that time? I think it was a Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo at that time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, so I was like, you know, this is the. I I'm, my parents didn't really have a lot of money. They weren't ever going to buy that for me. I knew it. <laughs> and if I if I wanted to get that, I needed to earn money. So I was like, well, there's no simple point. problem, simple exactly. solution, right? So I think I don't know if it's just the way I was built, but it seems. I feel like I'm able to get take away the noise a lot of times and just focus on the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think when I was a kid, I did <laughs> I did I used to get very frustrated mostly with games things like that. <laughs> okay. uh, I I used to get very upset when I lost, mm-hmm. and I think that was because that sort of competitiveness and problem solving sort of go together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not really sure how exactly. I think it was just a gradual change uh, over life. Um, and then one thing, well, so there was a big event that happened to me, which probably didn't seem like it would be that big to people. But so I was, I was 16 years old, and I was driving uh, in the you know, rural Illinois, and my car broke down, and it was raining, mm-hmm. and so I, was, I didn't know how to fix a car. I didn't have a cell phone at the time. This was before mm-hmm. cell phones were really popular. It was it day or night? It was night. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there was no town within miles mm-hmm. of me, so it was kind of like. There were cars passing by, but I, I tried to, like, wave a couple down. Nobody stopped. So I was like, okay, I guess I got to walk. So so I started walking, and I probably walked maybe about a mile, and I was just, you know, so down. I'm like, this, how, this is so unfair. Why did this happen to me um, and, You know, with the rain and everything? And then I, and then I was just sort of like, what is the point? What is the point of being so upset right now? Like, it's not going to make this better. It's going to make it worse. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not going to change anything. <laughs> okay. So... So I literally just started singing at the top of my lungs as I was walking. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like it made the situation so much better. I wasn't as miserable. I was just this is what's going on. I just need to do what I got to do. I got <laughs> I got there, and made a call and got a, got a ride.
0: All right. So so I, you like problem solved the like problem you couldn't solve, right? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's. Yeah, and it's like, a, it's, and a lot of those times it is like a decision to be miserable. Like yeah. y- you might not be aware of that decision that you're oh, making sure. to make to be miserable. But you know, some, and it's we. I don't know what it is about singing or like, um, like song. You know, song in general. We can really just be like, oh, things are too bad. If I can sing a song, it's yeah. like not terrible, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Actually, I have a funnier story about singing a song. So.
0: Tell me that story.
1: <laughs> so well, <laughs> probably isn't gonna sound funny. when We start, but since this is when I got injured in Afghanistan. Okay. Uh. So, a little background for if you don't know. So, I, I was deployed in Afghanistan. I was an infantryman. Uh, we were in a firefight.
0: What time to what time?
1: I was, this was 2011, to December 2011. Uh, and then this occurred in July of 2012. Okay. Um, so, we were in a firefight. Uh, I was in a, I was actually driving a vehicle, uh, and we had a, a gunner, but the, his weapon malfunctioned. We only had, really had two trucks on our side of a mountain. We were sort of separated. Uh, so, I was like... I need to get out and provide some cover fire. Mm. Um, so I actually had a machine gun uh, that I carried with me. So I was like, I talked to the, you know my, my squad leader who's next to me. He's like, I'm going to get out and provide cover fire. Is that, is that okay? He's like, yeah, go. So I get out. you know, pro- <laughs> I'm shooting for a little bit. and He's like, all right, come back, come back. So I, I go to open the door, and a uh, rocket-propelled grenade blew up right on the other side of the door. Uh, and a piece of shrapnel cut off a part of my thigh, luckily outer thigh, so not near yeah. any... Yeah. major blood vessels so mm-hmm. it was okay but um so then i actually didn't feel it i was i, I just saw a hole in my pants so i was like oh crap <laughs> um, and then so i walked to the back of the truck mm. and they're like get down get down I was like okay so so <laughs> uh so they like dragged me into the back of this other truck and and i i didn't really felt it too much then either but then the medic started um Putting curlics into my leg and that that
0: hurt quite a bit. What's curlics? Is that like the like, silver nitrate?
1: No, well, just like gauze. Oh, sort. okay. Yeah, so uh, that hurt quite a bit. <laughs> so, I just started singing at the top of my lungs. Um, Do you know what song? It, it was called "Enormous Penis." <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it was a very it was a very appropriate
0: yeah. song for the time. Okay.
1: Yeah. So it, like basically it's, it's like basically whenever life gets you down. Um, you just take a look at your enormous penis and everything's
0: <laughs> gonna be okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so you're singing. Did that naked it be- You were like, okay, okay, at least I'm singing. I was like, I, was like, I can deal with it. Deal okay. With it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What did anyone react to you singing? Yeah. Are you yeah. Oh yeah. Uh,
1: the guy that was in the gun above me was like, look. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty funny.
0: How long did you sing for? Do you even remember? Uh, I don't even know.
1: I think I went through the whole uh, the song. The song's probably like three minutes. I think I went through it like twice,
0: maybe. So okay, all right. Good amount of time. Did any
1: analgesia get on board? Like It was. It was really late. It was actually, I think I was in the middle of the song. I was like, could you give me some
0: more? <laughs> <laughs> and then he was like, oh, shoot, sorry. So You're again. singing so good, and it yeah. seems to be working. Yeah, isn't? right? Oh, wow. So with that... Okay, that, that's an interesting way to pivot into that event, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, we got here. Um, so I guess a question, like a, just a technical question that I had, uh, two of them was like, did the, the rock with the RPG hit, hitting on the other side of the door, did the door, like, effectively provide, like, cover for you that probably would have, like, from other shrapnel that would have probably done more damage?
1: Oh, I, I'm pretty sure I would have been dead if I did, had not opened the door and it had not hit on the other side of the door. Okay. Like, almost certainly.
0: And then the other, the other question <clears throat> is, is, like, you were pulled in the other truck. Was that the other truck that was, like, kind of on the other side of the mountain? And it was got... right behind us. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So, uh, what was that like? What was that? I mean, you're you're describing the experience very much in like uh, like uh, like almost like there's a GoPro attached to your forehead, right? <laughs> there actually was a GoPro of this. Really? Little, yes, there have was. Have you seen it? I have. What was okay? Uh, how long after that event did you see that GoPro footage? And what was it like to watch it? So it was kind of weird. So it was it was maybe like th- two months later.
1: So I had one of one of. One of the guys that was deployed with me came back for mid-tour leave, mm-hmm. which his was almost near the end, but... And then, so he showed me the video then. Uh, it was kind of weird. Well, for one, I didn't know how close it was to me, because I just uh, remember, like, a bang. Yeah. And, and I was like,
0: oh, holy crap.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was, that was how close. How close
0: was it? Like, it was, like,
1: literally a foot away from me
0: where it exploded. Oh, geez. Yeah. Oh, geez.
1: So So that was kind of wild, and then just to see my reaction was kind of funny. So... One, one is it's amazing to see what shock can do to you Or you don't even like really think <laughs> and because I, So I remember So the first thing I said to anybody was I need a tourniquet now And I was like I'm Looking back I was like You know what I had a tourniquet right here Like I could have definitely done it But like that that thought didn't even go into my head I was just like I need a tourniquet mm. um, and then, It was just funny to watch them. As they're like working on me I'm just kind of like sitting there like this Like with my head in my hands Do you like, see
0: yourself singing?
1: No, I didn't, because he... Well, I mean, he had other stuff to do. He was doing... Yeah, he had other... (laughs) It was kind of a a hectic situation, so... But he comes back in the back of the truck at one point in the video, and he's like, How you doing? I'm like, I'm good. He's like, No, you're not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oh, goodness. Okay, so... um, Okay, we're we're deep in this story right now. I want to take like three steps back, mm-hmm. you know, and like provide some context, right, on sure. both sides. So like, uh, this happened in 2012, um, right? Yep. And you you enter like, uh, you were deployed in 2011. Like, when did you enter the armed forces? And mm-hmm. then what was the what was like how did like what was the what were the events leading up to that? And then what were the events after that in terms of recovery?
1: So. So I originally went in. I want to go special forces, mm-hmm.
0: um, like most young men.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. That's what <laughs> I want to do. Oh uh, well. Well, originally I was I was actually joining to get my medical school paid for, I should say. But then oh, they said um, the best way to do that would be to go in and then put in a packet to go to medical school, which was all um, lies. <laughs> but
0: beside the point. What um, y- so what year was this when they were telling you all this? This was 2009. Okay, so we were, we're pretty things were pretty heavy, like in terms yeah, of overseas. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So.
1: So then they were like, "Well, you know, you could be a medic, and then you could do that, and then you get some medical training." But then they didn't have any medic spots available, and they're like, "You know what? You could go special forces." And I was like, "That sounds, that sounds interesting." Cool. <laughs> and so and I how got, old were you? Uh, I was what was I at this time? Two thousand? Was it two
0: thousand
1: nine? So I was uh, twenty three. Yeah. Okay. So. I was like, well, that sounds crazy. Like, I'd never done anything remotely so crazy. I found out I had to go airborne, which meant I had to jump out of planes, and I was, like, deathly afraid of heights. So I was like, <laughs> well, that's a little bummer, but I was like, this would be really cool to do. So I was mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, all right, let's do it. <laughs> my, all right. my parents were freaked out. Like, I'd never even considered joining the military before this. Oh, okay. Um, but, but really, I had no way of knowing how to pay for medical school, so many things. That, uh
0: what so, uh what would ha- what had you been doing from like high school until twenty three
1: um so i i just gone to college i just mm-hmm. graduated a little before this about a year before
0: it okay um and, and what would you do for uh, co- what would you study biology gotcha gotcha so that spits you out like twenty one twenty two right yeah and yep. then, so like- and
1: then uh, i was working at basically i was working at a Japanese restaurant i wanted to go to medical school. I took the MCAT, I didn't grade on it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really like do any of the other things I was supposed to do
0: in order to <laughs> like get all into things medical that school. Resume you. Y- yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. So I think it was it wasn't looking likely at that time. So I was just mm-hmm. trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, just kind of things fell into place.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I was like, Well, you know, it was weird. It was actually very weird how how this all got into my head because I I had just moved to this new apartment. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't know how this guy got knew who I was or got my address, but th- I think it was within a week of moving there, some guy knocked on my door of my apartment. I don't even know how he got in, by the way. It was a locked door. It was a very weird situation. <laughs> okay. So he, he so he knocks on my door, and he's like, well, we saw that you wanted to go into medical school. Have you ever considered going, you know, ha- having the Army pay for your medical school? And I was like, no. I sort oh, of, like, weird. shoot him out the door. I was like, this is not really, doesn't really sound. But then I, that sort of got me thinking about it. I never knew who this guy was again. Like, I didn't save his card or anything. Like, it so
0: could weird. have been a total hallucination. Right? <laughs> and maybe, I just,
1: maybe I just dreamt it all. I don't know. Um, oh, but weird. It, but it started getting me thinking about it. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe I should do this so
0: okay okay and so that they kind of like wrangle you in not the way you thought and then you end up being an infantryman right
1: so so i did go through the special forces training for a while okay so i went through basic and then i went to uh selection which is what you need to pass that in order to go through the training uh and then so I, i actually did pass selection i was in the q course for about uh six months Mm-hmm. Uh, basically just study it. I was learning Mandarin Chinese. Uh, okay. And, yeah, so... Do you still retain any of that? Uh, not much. Okay. I haven't really had many opportunities to use it. <laughs> okay, sometimes I'll try... So it's kind of weird. My wife is a native Spanish speaker. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll try to think in Spanish, but it'll only come out in Chinese. Oh, weird. Which is really weird, but, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but, but what happened is... So I sort of hurt my shoulder a little bit. Um, I couldn't really... Couldn't really do the training I needed to do, and it was it was one of those things that it was coming to the end of this, and I had to go on to the next thing, but I couldn't do it in, unless my shoulder healed up. Mm-hmm. I had just found out my wife was pregnant, mm. um, at the time, so I had a lot of thinking to do because I could have went back and tried to go through things again. Um, but I was like, you know what? I don't think you know. Looking at the time, I'm going to be deployed. You're like pretty much deployed six out of every twelve months. Like you know, what? I think I'm, mm-hmm. I think I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. So. I I tried to transition to psychological operations, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't get all the paperwork done in time. So they're like, You're going to Alaska (laughs) as an infantryman. I'm like, All right, here we go. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So then I was there, and then this was early 2011 when. when all this happened because by the time everything went through and uh, yeah i'd been i'd already been in the army for like a year and a half mm-hmm. um and then yeah so i went there and then they were like all right we're deploying in like okay eight months so Oof. get okay. ready
0: so so backing up just a second uh <clears throat> when did you meet your wife
1: we so after college um i was working at a japanese restaurant yeah. for a while and she we both worked there together so
0: oh okay like, Okay, so, so she, so she was with you as you kind of, like, made this journey and, like, like, hey, maybe I could join the military to get med school paid for, like, maybe I can do, this. like, and then, so she was with you during that whole, like, series of things.
1: Yeah, but we didn't start dating until, actually, like, what, maybe two weeks before I joined? <laughs> it was kind of weird. <laughs> oh, man. A, yeah. So it was, it was like right off the bat, a long distance relationship. Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, and I, th- we'll circle back to her. Uh, so you get, you get deployed for eight months uh, when you have a newborn, right? Yep. And uh, w- uh, what was the, what were the psychological like ramifications of that, of that, th- that news? Like I'm going away for eight months and this baby, like how old were they?
1: So he, he was born the end of August and I left in December. So he
0: was four, four months old. Okay, so you're going to be gone for twice as long as he had ever been. Yeah, alive. Well, I
1: was actually supposed to. The only reason I left as early as I did was because I got hurt. I was supposed to be there for a whole year.
0: Oh. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so yeah, what was that like? because uh, this is a, this is a story that you know kind of plays out a lot in the military. Like a young father gets deployed, but like, Ooh. what is what was that experience for you?
1: Yeah, it was tough. Um, well, we were on this really tiny base. So we did, and we right, like, we had some internet, but it was only in this like one room that you'd have to sometimes wait to use a computer. Mm-hmm. It didn't always work great. So we were, but we were able to Skype every now and then, and it was able to call every now and then too. Um, but I mean, you're, you're so busy when you're deployed. It's like you you literally work seven days a week and you. I mean you're working most of the day when you're I mean, when you're awake you're pretty much working mm-hmm. for the most part. You have some time off but then you're like you know watching illegally downloaded um, <laughs> tv shows which some yeah I, I didn't never did that yeah. So uh <laughs> Yeah, so that's pretty much what people are doing the majority of the time. I, I got in fantastic shape at the time, mm-hmm. you know, because there's a gym right there. So, it's, so wait, so you're, you're in Alaska training.
0: at this point? No, I, well, this, this is, is, when, is when, when I was in Afghanistan. Okay, okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So, and, you're, and they're in Alaska. What's like Your family's in Alaska at this point. Well, I think, well,
1: at one point they moved. They were in Alaska for a couple months after I left, but then they went back to Illinois where my wife's family
0: was. Gotcha. Um, for support. Exactly. For reasons. That makes sense. Exactly. Okay.
1: Um. So, yeah, but it was just... It, was hard i mean you didn't really have a lot of time but then there's times where you're just on guard and you have nothing else to think about so Mm. so it was it was definitely a struggle Um, but then again it was sort of the you know it is what it is (laughs) you Mm -hmm. gotta gotta Mm -hmm. make the best of it so
0: okay yeah because i mean that was basically the time that like (laughs) that that'd be like me leaving june right now like it would just be like yeah i just i'm i'm just very much in like i get it that in like it was sort of like um this is a, a thing that i was like i i've been experiencing with some of our fellow fellow medical <clears throat> students in that like match day separated relationships, you know, like mm-hmm. like one like they, they didn't couples match, so they they're matching it across the country and it's like, oh, uh as because of this mm-hmm. algorithm, this relationship can no longer continue. And it's sort of like a decision outside of them and they have to just like logic their way to the end of a relationship. Or like just like to or to a long distance relationship. And that stressor of like, oh you're deployed. You know, it's yeah. like that's just like a Act of God where it's just like It's sort of like a tsunami hits but it only hits Your family Yeah,
1: right? yeah. But then again you know there's so many People you're with are und- und- mm. Going through the same thing mm-hmm. So
0: so did that normalize it or was that like A source of support for you or a little bit of both
1: Um I don't know I feel like I, I was able to Support myself I probably would have been able to Regardless I think just because the way I My perspective on life <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I Can get through almost anything Um but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just sort of like if you want to start getting down on yourself, you're like you're surrounded by people that are all in the same situation. So I think mm. it's sort of like everyone else is just keeping their head down, doing their job. So okay, you gotta do it too.
0: Okay, okay, and so uh, you get deployed, and you're kind of just doing this thing. You have this like sort of weird long distance relationship, um, and uh, and then this event happens, right? Yep. Is this? I imagine this was the most eventful thing that happened during your deployment.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'd gotten in one other major firefight before this, um, but nobody really got hurt or anything. It was sort of a, (laughs) they shot at us, we shot back, and everyone sort of scattered.
0: (laughs) Okay. How did, how did uh, your spouse, what's her name again? Oh, Cedra. Cedra. How did Cedra receive the news of that firefight?
1: I actually gave it to, oh, the first one? Yeah. The first one, I told her.
0: Mm -hmm. And how did she receive that? Was was it like, oh shit, this is real? I don't even know if I actually told her. I don't know. Might not have told her. Okay, maybe you know ignorance is bliss. Sometimes you know if no you yeah. don't get hurt, right? Okay,
1: yeah. so then. But, so when I got hurt, though, I was the one that told her, which was weird. I thought somebody would have definitely said something, because I, I don't even know how long it was. I because this all happened. It took a while for me to leave there, um, and then they. While they, being
0: like hours or days or weeks.
1: So, so uh, first it was probably like at least an hour from the time I got hurt till they started driving me back towards the base. It was wild. Maybe it wasn't quite that long, but it felt it felt like that long. <laughs> um, and then we got there, and they were then there was a, a more experienced medic. I think it was like a PA or something that was um, working on me for maybe another like thirty forty five minutes. And then they flew me to another base uh, where this was a wild experience. So they had cut off all my clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like you know like a normal trauma that we do, um, and they just put my boots on the on the cot with me or the stretcher with me. Uh, and then loaded me up. So I like when I when I landed, they wheeled me into this room, completely naked, with with probably like fifty people in the <laughs> room, all ready to like take care of me. Uh, that was a wild experience. <laughs> uh, and were
0: you like pretty cognizant? Like it was just like.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And was <laughs> but then they put me out pretty quickly and then did surgery on me and stuff. And so I don't even know how long I was under how, everything. And yeah, it must have
0: I'd, been like a weird experience of like I am a piece of meat being rolled in, just yeah. like whatever, you know? Yeah. Okay.
1: And then so so then I I woke up and I was like, oh man, Cesar must be freaking out right now because I figured mm. someone must have call her and told her, mm. and I so I call her and I'm like, hey, and she's like, hey, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so you don't know what just happened. Uh- <laughs>
0: Oh, it was kind of a kind of, kind of, a, of
1: an incident, yeah. So, okay, so that was weird.
0: Did you do the whole like, where are you right now? Are you driving? <laughs> I did
1: not, I probably should have. <laughs>
0: okay, yeah, you know, you had other, you were not, you know, yeah, I get yeah. It. that makes sense. So, uh, wh- yeah, how did, wh- did it take a while for her to like even process what was going on to you? Like, because it's hard for me, like. This is, like, several, this is, like, eight years after it happened, and it's still, like, hard to, like, under. you know, like, what was the timeline, you know? Yeah. Like, like
1: all yeah. I don't, I don't really know, because, I mean, she seemed okay over the phone, but I don't know what happened
0: mm. when I hung up the phone. Was she in Illinois with family at that point?
1: <coughs> yeah. So, I think, I mean, it probably helped that I was able to be the one to tell her. Yeah. Um... Cause the, because like, she knows, knows you're <laughs> at
0: least, uh, like, cognizant, yeah. and, you know, like, all
1: that. Yeah, because I was like, uh, yeah, I kind of lost a chunk of my leg. And she was like, didn't really know what that meant, I think.
0: Because a chunk could be a little, it could
1: exactly. be, you know, okay. Exactly. I didn't really know how to, how to quadrify yeah, that. Yeah, um, yeah. that. Um, yeah, so, uh, and then I had to tell my parents,
0: <laughs> that was a, its own... Was this, like, same so day or, like, the next couple days? Like same day. Same, okay. Yeah, gotcha.
1: so I, after I got the phone with her, I called them. That was also No, no, like, I got, uh, was this phone oh, call
0: the same it day? It was that, the same
1: day, yeah. It was the same day that it happened. Gotcha, yeah. okay. I think they ended up calling her and telling her what happened, like, the next day. Oh, and <laughs> so she already knew. Yeah. <laughs> I don't <laughs> no, think okay. Thanks for telling me. Yeah, so, and I think, too, she. I, it was kind of probably a weird scenario, too, because I was coming home. I was, like, out of danger at that point. But oh, I also really? Had, yeah. Yeah. So it was a weird... <laughs>
0: she was like, oh, this is great news. Like, she was like, she's expecting, like, oh, this is, like, I got the order. Like, we're going, I'm leaving. Yep. First, yep. But then it's, you're leaving, but in a different way.
1: Exactly. So... Okay. Got out a few months early, but, but then... That's a plus. Yeah.
0: Okay, but then, uh, so you got the initial surgery, and where were you when you gave those phone calls, and where would you end up going for in terms of a like longer-term recovery?
1: So, what happened is, that basically, every day, they'd fly me to a new base. I think, so, Though I went to a couple different bases in Afghanistan, then I went to Germany, and then I went to San Antonio, and then I went to uh, Tacoma, Washington. Mm-hmm. So, I was like, basically, every day, I'd be a new place, and then they met me there. I stayed there for, like, two months... In Tacoma. Oh, not two months, two weeks. Yeah, that that was that was a crazy situation too. So I was at that point I was able to like walk on crutches, um, but they, <laughs> I stayed at a Fisher House, which is that's a really cool charity organization that basically for my situation they'll they'll put up um, wounded veterans who and their families or or active duty um, if they're away from home. Mm-hmm. So my wife and son came to meet me there, and we were staying there. The weird thing about it though was, like, I didn't have a car, I didn't have anything, um, and I, I it was probably like, like six blocks from the hospital where I had to go basically every day. Okay. So I was like, on crutches, like making my way to the hospital
0: every day. You're morning. doing your own PT. Exactly. exactly.
1: <laughs> that was my PT. Um, yeah. So I was there for two weeks, and they were like, "Well, we want you to stay here because this is, this is pretty bad. I don't think they could handle it in Alaska." And then they were like. You know, this is a little worse than we thought. It's probably too long for you to stay here. We're just gonna send you back to
0: Alaska. Oh
1: wow. Yeah. So, so after that, the recovery was pretty long. Uh, so they ended up waiting. They had to. I was. I had a wound vac on, so they were waiting to get enough granulation tissue where they thought they could do a skin graft.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it took a, probably a little over a month till that happened. Oh, after we got back from Alaska. With the wound back on. Exa- yeah. Okay. And then. And then the, wound, the skin graft didn't really take very well, but he's like, well, we'll see what happens. But it kept on sort of opening, closing, opening, closing. Uh, so, so then he sent me to a plastic surgeon who attempted to uh, do the same thing. But, so it took, it took like four attempts before it finally yes. took... Um, yeah, so then I thought I was pretty good. Uh, but then... Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember how long. This might have been a few months later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I... I was actually flew down to Florida. I was, I was going to, uh, to a medical school interview. Uh, this was the year before I got accepted. Okay. Um, so I hadn't really applied to a lot of places, uh, and I my my MCAT score I was still going off of was one from like before the army. So I, I probably should have just retaken it that mm-hmm. <laughs> So, but wait, wait.
0: Uh, so so how long after the in th- that injury was this interview? This interview was probably a year and. Year and
1: change? Year and change later, yeah.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, Yeah, so... But then I got off the plane, and my leg was just killing me. And then, so I went... My parents lived in Florida, so I was staying at their place. I got there, and I, like, you know, I looked... And what was going on? It was just like swollen, like beyond belief. It had a really bad infection. Ooh. So um, at, at that point, uh, I kept having problems. Well, so I actually missed the interview. They rescheduled it for. It was actually the last day they were doing interviews. They rescheduled for Friday, but I ended up not getting in. Um, <laughs> oh. Yeah. So despite this. exactly <laughs> okay. exactly so, but then so after that, they, I, they would give me antibiotics and take care of it to come back. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, so that happened for for a while. It happened over a course of several months, and then they ended up doing uh, a washout. So I another surgery, um, and then uh, and then that got reinfected again. They did another washout, and then after that, it was finally like pretty much done.
0: <laughs> so so how many? So like when was it like? This leg is kind of... No, no more things needed to it. Like, how long after the injury was that? It was about two years. Two years, and how many... Approximately how many procedures? Nineteen. Oof. That's a lot. Yeah. And, uh... How... Like, so two years after it was, like, 2014, and then, like, you get in, and then, and then what <clears throat> happens after that? How does that, how do you get into medical school and end up here, you
1: know? <laughs> so I, I decided if I want to get into medical school, I needed to study a lot more for my MCAT, so I, I think my score was 30. Mm-hmm. At the time, um and then so I just studied like crap for like three months, mm-hmm. and I got a 37. I was pretty proud of that. Nice, because it had been so long since I'd been in school and all that. Mm-hmm. um So, so that was it. And then I was like, all right, this is gonna happen now. So, but then I was kind of stupid. Too. So I only applied to USF. <laughs> I was like, eh, my score is good enough. I got a pretty interesting backstory. I'm sure I'll get in. Mm. Uh, but then they put me on the wait list, so I was oh. like, "Maybe this was a bad idea." But it ended up working out. So yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it was. Uh, they ended up deciding to medically retire me at this point because like all this kept going on, but it was kind of weird. So they decided to do that, and it went through. But then after that, I was pretty good. So, <laughs> but it, it ended up being amazing because, I mean, I got health care for my family. I get like a thousand dollar a month stipend which is, like, the retirement pay. Um, oh, wow, been, okay. So it's been, I mean, it's been amazing.
0: Yeah, so what would have been the diff I guess, like, what, how would your life, how would, like, the f- past, like, four or five <clears throat> years been different had they not medically retired you? Like, what would have been the process?
1: Well, so like? I still could have probably earned disability, mm-hmm. um, but it if you don't get it in this process, it can take years. So, okay. like, I might have just been getting it, like, now, if, if I even got it at all. Um, and... I wouldn't have gotten the healthcare, so you know, paying for healthcare for mm. for a family of five in medical school without that extra thousand dollars a month that would have been that would have been definitely rough,
0: very difficult. Yeah. All right, and then but like, would you ha- like you would would you still be because like I know it's different for like HPSB, <clears throat> so like how like would you still technically be within the military like had they not medically retired you or like?
1: Well, I would have actually ended up staying in three extra months because they were doing it. Because I was supposed to get out um, September 2014, but then they hadn't finalized all my paperwork yet. So I ended up not retiring officially until December of that year. Okay. So I would have just gotten out um, and then started the application process. And, yeah, I I found a job. In the meantime, I was working as a monitor technician where I was just sort of looking at... uh, EKGs and stuff, so that was a good job to do before this.
0: Yeah, 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 it is. Like, really, like, looking at EKGs, it's like, you just gotta do the reps, right? Exactly. Um, oh, so, like, when you had entered medical school, it was still very much, like, life on that side had only just kind of settled, that chapter was only just closed. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's very interesting. And then medical school happens, and it's medical school's a wacky thing. Yep. Um, but, uh, And then okay, so kid one before you get deployed, Mm -hmm. when did kids two and three happen?
1: So kid two was about a little over a year. Well, actually, about the year after I got back from Afghanistan. Um, And then yeah, and then kid three, (laughs) Layla, was
0: (laughs) was just number. She was right
1: before, like three months before I started medical school.
0: Oh wow. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, or actually, like two months. Yeah. So. All right, and then um, so uh, now now we're kind of pivoting away from the injury and more towards just like the wackiness of medical school and having three kids. You mm-hmm. know, because it's uh, I only June Sue so is only since like the last couple months of medical school, and it's really wacky. How what was it like for the academic years of medical school and the clinical year, uh, like third year, and like with those three wild li- little dudes running around? So uh, luckily I'm able to study with a lot of distractions, Mm -hmm.
1: um, because I mean, I'd want to be home as much as possible. So I'd study at home, but sometimes it'd be like a kid crawling on me (laughs) while I'm trying to study, but it was, it was okay. And you know, my wife was amazing throughout all of it. Um, she wasn't working, which is one of the things that was so nice about Mm. what happened with the retirement. She was able to stay home, uh, for, for a good portion of it anyway. Um, so she yeah she was amazing keep, you know keeping them busy and stuff and allowing me the time and it, it went actually pretty smoothly I mean I was probably uh, like just anecdotally I feel like I was probably the least stressed person
0: <laughs> in in our class mm. <laughs> especially during those first two years I was just like what is Nate Baker on <laughs> 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 I was like, how does he do it he's got three kids this doesn't make sense so uh, yeah okay yeah that that makes that makes some sense. Um, And, uh...
1: Well, and I think, too, it it was a benefit, too, because I had that to go home to and, like, understand, keep it in perspective, you know, what I'm going for.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that whole medical experience, too, of just, like, being on the other side, because a lot of our peers... Have never they, like some of them have, but not a, the majority. I think have never really had a meaningful interaction as the, on the a hard on the patient side. Like yeah, you do the appointments or whatever, um, like checkups. But for the most part, you're pretty healthy. And but like not really being like wheeled in naked into a room <laughs> of fifty people. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, So uh, what did that? Um, what did that? How? Yeah. How has that whole uh, the, that trauma of leg leg experience uh, informed you as a physician going <clears throat> forward? So one of the things that, that really
1: changed my perspective was I after that first skin graft didn't take, the the surgeon was sort of at a loss. He didn't really know what to do. He thought I might have needed a muscle flap, which was a pretty major surgery and like a long recovery and stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, this, this is awful. Uh, and then so I was you know doing a lot of research on it and stuff. And, and really, he didn't know. He didn't really know what. But then he put that in my head. So I was looking it up, and I was like, "Oh man, I could be like in the in bed for months Ooh. and stuff." And I was like, "This is gonna be this is gonna be rough." Um, but then ultimately, and it was probably it was several months later that he um, sent me to the plastic surgeon. He was like, "Oh no, you don't need that." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "Wow!" Mm. So just just thinking about the power that your words have as a physician. So if you don't know something and you're going to give somebody some news that, or that may not even really be news, you need to really think about the impact that can what have. What you're people. planting in their brain. Exactly. Uh,
0: yeah. Okay. And um, uh, like, uh, I guess was there ever a point where you're like, I might lose this leg? Uh, there was one time
1: when I don't think I was ever at that point where, I, but when after i had my first surgery for the washout when
0: it got infected so they, when it when it kept getting so infected like, not even the immediate like it was never like in the immediate <sighs> like you're good and yeah. like the restitu- like, most of the meats there it was like in that like long term like like yeah. uh complications
1: yeah because it got the infection came back so bad that they were like we need to do surgery like today or you could lose this leg jeez <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. What was that, uh, like, how, because, you know, like, like we said, like, that, it was so far after the a- initial event, and then yeah. to have it be like, oh, this is that bad, I didn't like, what was that experience like?
1: Um, I don't know, I, maybe I, I color things differently, thinking back, but I'm like, all right, well, let's do the surgery, you know?
0: Problem solver, right? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> okay, um, and I guess now, now, like, another question before we kind of pivot more into like other other responses to I am is um how does this experience as a, a wounded veteran like how does that paint your ex- your perception of what that term means and like what does serve like what does service mean like how does that because you know <laughs> if you had gone through and been uninjured it's a very different experience of what service is versus uh. like a person like you you have a legitimate reason to have a purple heart like you know nothing yeah. on, on the, but they are like no, they're no lesser yeah. and more right? yes
1: so, so, I think one, it makes me a little comfortable when people are like, thank you for your service, even, or like when they hear what's happened, like I think they have a different perspective of me, which is probably reflects on me positively, but it, I don't think it really should, which mm-hmm. is. Because, like, honestly, everyone else that was there, this could have happened to them. Mm-hmm. You know, it just happened to happen to me. And, honestly, it's turned out for the better for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, my life has gotten better because of it. So I think a lot of people, like, feel sorry for me or whatever. Like, don't feel sorry. My life is amazing right now. It's uh, <laughs> this, this turned out. It. I mean, I, like, honestly, it's sort of one of those things. You look back, would I, would I have done the same thing if I had to go through it again? I, probably not. But, like, I think that if I did that, then my life wouldn't have been better mm-hmm. had I not gone through that, I think. So mm-hmm. it's it's a weird thing. Um, so, and I think, too, people look at, you know, so they'll look at, there's, there's a lot of people that go through a lot of things I went through, some some way worse than what I went through, some not as bad, and, and they don't necessarily rebound the same way I did. Mm-hmm. I think it's very easy to try and be critical of people. When it's like that, but you got to think, like, how, what is it like to live in their shoes right now? Like, mm-hmm. how this worked out for me, it, it turned out to be a good thing. And I feel like I my resilience has grown and I've grown as a person because of it. And my life has improved because of it. So, to, I guess, sort of think that that is, look at me and say, this is great. And look down on other people that don't do the same thing. I think it's almost, I, I wouldn't say look down on people, but, but like to look down on people that aren't able to make that change, it's like, you know, they're struggling so hard right now, mm. all the time, every day is a struggle. Um, you know, people not even just knowing if they want to be alive anymore. Mm. I think mm. so. The the idea of criticizing them, saying you're weak or whatever else, I think is preposterous. Mm. You know, people need help. Sometimes people just need help. Mm. They're not able. They weren't able to have the experience I had growing up that allowed me to have that perspective. Uh, or whatever else, and I don't think that that's something that I should look down on other people because they didn't have that. That's that's silly. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I more, of, <laughs> I want I'd rather do what I can to help them if I can, you know.
0: Yeah. So, like, uh, one of the, the idea that's popping in my head is like the like the idea of like post traumatic stress, but also post traumatic growth. Like, there's like mm-hmm. for, and it's hard to know what that is like it's, it depends on the stressor or the trauma but it also depends on the person and it's really hard to understand like ahead of time will this person be able to bounce back like you have or like will be that person that just needs help and it's hard to know can you even make that change after the fact you know um and I wonder like what because uh, you know like you were saying it could have happened to anyone else in, in like in that firefight with you, but also uh, what was your experience going through the various hospitals and like various like longer term care with other veterans who were wounded in different states in different ways? Like was that another way of like kind of creating that empathy and that understanding of be like, look, this person's going through something really shitty and like I don't, you can't really judge them for it.
1: Yeah. Well it's one of those things that you always look at you think like people say, well this is the only thing that happened to you but this could have happened but you could really play that game with anybody right you mm-hmm. can play that game with me i while I'm up walking around I can like ride my bike and things like that you know mm-hmm. um, and there's people that lost their legs there's people that can't do that that have had you know severe brain damage or other things like that you could always play that game and it's just just it doesn't matter what matters <laughs> is <laughs> it, what matters is something happened and this is how this person has responded to it and mm-hmm. if they need help they need help that's all that matters mm. like the blame mm. game is so useless
0: <laughs> it is it is it's very but it's very easy it is it's very, It very is. Easy. um all right and uh i guess we can do one of two things we can at this point i want to pivot back towards those prompts and be either like what else is on that list <clears> of i am or uh what is your uh, what did you have a religious or spiritual upbringing to your childhood and then you i want you to pick it's to choose your own adventure at this point we can do the second one. The second one? Yeah. Oh, did you what was your religious or spiritual upbringing in your childhood?
1: So I was I was raised Christian um and then for most of it we we went to a very evangelical style church. Mm-hmm. Uh so that was one of the, it was a weird experience too cuz I feel like I was I was like a little old for my age, so I, I can remember like questioning so many things from even a young age. Like this doesn't make uh, sense. I see that so easily. yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I see that so easily. Um,
1: <clears throat> but but then too, I like there's a lot of things that you know as a preteen or whatever kid, you you feel like you know everything and you just don't. Mm. So you look back and you're like, well, yeah, I didn't really know as much as I thought. But um, yeah, there were, there was some weird times where. There was one time there, the church was very big on um, they call it the gifts of the spirit. They think you, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and you'll get gifts to do different things. And mm-hmm. one of the things that they they were very big on is speaking in tongues. So you're just like basically mm-hmm. saying, mumbling words like, <laughs> and mm-hmm. they think that somehow this is how God is speaking through you. Or I mean, I never really quite understood the whole concept. But mm-hmm. so they would they would take us out of the children's church and they would like pray for this to happen to us. Um, and this, I was probably like 12 years old. And, and then they're like, they're like doing this. They're praying for me. And they're like, how what? many,
0: how many people are around you at this point? This like, was
1: like probably a group of like eight women, like adult women around mm. me doing this. And, and they're doing
0: this. They're praying. And, and is, then, it like, is it like, like, like what's the physical, like, are they in a like circle? It's like in around? a circle around me. Yeah. And it's just you in the center? Exactly. Oh, that's weird. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it was weird. And then they're like, so what are you thinking? And I, like, just say whatever comes to your mind. I was like, there, there's nothing. And then. And then the pastor's wife <laughs> takes me to the side. She's like, you might, you might need to get right with Jesus. Because I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm done with you guys. Oh, man. But I mean, at first I was like, man, maybe I do. But then, but then the more I thought about it, I was just like, no, these guys are, these guys are crazy. <laughs> I don't
0: know. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah makes, I mean, that's a really odd. Uh, and it's, uh, to blame the child for like not being into it is yeah. hard. That's really yeah. hard.
1: Yeah. Like if I, I mean this probably happened to many other people, but I think too you'll see just kids that'll just go along with it and just be like saying the same
0: stuff and it's like mm-hmm. so what does that uh i and we we talked a little bit before the interview began about in terms of like this book you're writing and <coughs> in, in this very different experience that you had with christianity uh this sort of like uh comparing and contrasting with evangelicalism um it's like a very uh you know i have this I have this idea <coughs> in my head like there's, uh, you can, a child can run away from the village mm-hmm. um, and that's fine because at least they can find something else and be able to contrast the new village with the old village <clears throat> but if you never have a village growing up and you go into a, new, into a village, you're sort of like this is everything, you know, yeah. because, and you're like, why is everyone drinking the Kool-Aid, you know? It's, yeah. like, it's like, it's one of those, like, you don't have that perspective, so like, what does that, that history with you, um, how does that inform you going forward? Um...
1: So, I think that was one thing I'd struggled with for a long time was like, am I really a Christian? Like, do I want to be a Christian? Because mm-hmm. that's what I knew of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so I think that was, that was a big, that was definitely a big defining moment is like, no, I still believe in the things that Jesus said. I think that if you follow that path, your life is going to be better because of it. And what uh, was this defining moment? Um, I feel like it was, well, I mean... It's something that I've struggled with for a long time, I think. Um, I'm not sure when I fully got back on the...
0: On the... On the but history. I don't think
1: I was ever actually off of the train, though. So, you know, but just the whole, what does it mean to be Christian and all mm-hmm. that, I think that I finally wrapped my head around what all of that means to me, like, probably within the last year. Okay. So, it took a, it took a while. Mm-hmm. Um, then sort of slowly learning trying to understand what's being said and, mm-hmm. and all
0: that. Okay. Um <laughs> and so this kind of like questionable period where you were like off the evangelical train but before you had really accepted like I I've been on the train the whole time like what was was that like sort of surrounding the injury? Um
1: No, it was actually before that. I think it was it was probably my early college years into into like the time Came I was up. in the army, I'd say. Sort of that, okay. Yeah, it was, then, you know, it was yeah. like one of those things because it was weird. Because I guess this will kind of get into one of the questions later, but mm-hmm. um I, I've always struggled with the idea of heaven. Mm-hmm. Like I've considered myself a Christian despite heaven, the concept of heaven,
0: okay, which, is,
1: which sets me apart, I think, for most people because <clears throat> the way I define myself. We talked about was a problem solver, mm-hmm. but then you think of heaven as like this paradise. Like there's not really problems to solve. Right? <laughs> it's like, what is my identity there? Like, yeah, that's you a know, good question. So, and then if you think about the the concept of joy, I, I believe it's contentment and purpose. But in heaven, you really don't have a purpose. You're just mm-hmm. like you're just there, right? The way we the way we think of it. So you could be content, but that's it. Like you're stuck there, like so. It sounds way worse to me than here. <laughs> it sounds way worse. Like, uh, like at least I can do something positively to help right
0: now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like for certain personality types, that sounds amazing. But for certain pa- like a problems of a deep problem solver, it's like that. What do you mean there's nothing to solve? And it's
1: like it is forever. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's fair. I got it. Yeah.
1: So it's I struggled even like at a very. I was pondering this stuff at a very young age. Like <laughs> I would sit up at night and I couldn't sleep because I was like dreading the idea of heaven. At
0: like so what age? Like what?
1: How? Pro- probably like around the same, like twelve years old. Oh wow. There. Okay. All I was right. pondering. Like, I would sit up and I would like like sweating, thinking about going to heaven. Just so weird.
0: Which is a weird. It's like it's the other way usually. <laughs> it's, it's like the, yeah. It was like it's forever
1: like just try and wrap your mind around what that means like you can't there's no end to it
0: so (laughs) okay so so um i guess uh, what what is what kind of relationship with spirituality are you fostering within your children and with your family so um
1: well i mean i think the thing is i
0: i'm I'm gonna raise my kids
1: to make up their own mind okay i'm gonna i'm gonna share my philosophy with them Mm -hmm. um but you know if if they believe what they believe that's what they believe, and I think I can try and convince them that what I believe is going to make their life better um and i i I mean I'm pretty optimistic that I'll be able to do that mm-hmm. um but I think if you're not if the problem that I think a lot of Christians have is you think, well, I need to believe this and I need to follow this, but you don't really worry about the understanding and that what happens is we are left with Christians that are nothing like how Christ envisioned them. Like, mm-hmm. you mean, I mean, just objectively, you look at it, and there's so many things that are just so disconnected from mm-hmm. what he said and what we're living. So it's, it's really better to force somebody to follow a belief that, you know, just to scare them into it when they don't really understand the concept and they're not really following it. The correct way anyway mm-hmm. if they don't understand why they're supposed to
0: mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I
1: think it's much more important to get the why down than even like the how down because mm-hmm. once you get the why then the how's easy
0: and so um, I guess uh, <clears throat> like on a more granular level like have you affiliated or, or joined a community of a, of a church since that since that experience as a child or is like what has have you uh, like because that communal experience can be very uh, beautiful but it can also be like like your experience it can be very damaging and just like a not a great one you know
1: yeah so we we had gone um to a methodist church that's Mm -hmm. nearby uh we kind of we're not very consistent (laughs) about (laughs) it um but i i really like the pastor there i think he's really good um so i think that that's what we'll probably be looking for when we move um more that style mm-hmm. um but yeah i think that it was good like just sitting in there i feel like i got a lot of perspectives i was able to like rationalize my thoughts a little better and grow a lot in, in what i wanted to say in my book mm-hmm. just being there even if i didn't always 100 percent agree i think like just having that pose to me
0: helped mm-hmm. in that like understanding because from my understanding is like uh methodists uh, as like in terms of like the different flavors of christianity is a more like cerebral approach to it is that correct
1: yeah, well, at least that, I, I mean, this, is, this is my first experience with, oh, okay, with fair, this church. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he was a very, he was very cerebral, like, not taking anything for granted. Mm-hmm. Things, yeah. yeah. Which I, I definitely, I <laughs> it's, definitely related it's to. It's your,
0: it's your, it's your thing, you know, I get it. And, uh, so that's a very, you know, and I'm you know, when you were describing your process of writing this book and just, like, waiting for, like, om- not, like, waiting for but, like, accepting that you <clears throat> needed certain lived experiences to be able to approach these ideas, this is almost like a, uh, it's a very thoughtful, um, one-on-one uh, relationship with Christianity in terms of this this process of book writing, it's almost like a long term prayer in terms of like trying to parse out and understand these ideas, and then I also see um, you approaching this like so. There's the micro and then there's the macro of like the community that's also like it's it can be nice, mm-hmm. very cool, and um, yeah, and so you'll be looking for a place similar or like at least some like some sort of a community that you can <clears throat> find in in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, and now I guess, like, let's circle back to those prompts, like, uh, other than, so you are, uh, a problem solver. Is there anything else on that list? I think that
1: <laughs> within that it'll branch off to, like, I think everything in my life. So I think that's good enough.
0: <laughs> I think so too. That's a very good spot. Uh, it's a very, it describes me <laughs> from, from you know, we, we haven't spent a whole lot of time giving but from what, from what I know, it's like. That's it. Yeah. Right on the nose. Okay. Uh, so how do you finish that next prompt before I die? I won't.
1: So before I die, I want to help people understand what it means to be happy. Um, yeah. So <laughs> that, I mean, I guess that's why, that's why I, the biggest reason why I wrote my book, I think, um, you know, every, so many people are so miserable. Like you have so much and it's never enough mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you're, self so many people are self-destructive and it, it it's just it's never beneficial <laughs> so mm-hmm. i think that's one of the things that i really want to achieve and i think too you can you can do that in a variety of ways you know i'm trying to write this book but i think too just if you approach your life with that in mind and and think of that one of the things i think a lot of people struggle with in residency is the idea that you know, I'm not really helping as much as I want to. I'm not. Mm. I'm. I don't have the experience yet. I'm. Or you'll see the same thing coming over and over again. You'll see people come back, and it's like I didn't really make any impact on them. Mm. But the thing you can always do is, whether it's the patients or the people you're around, you can make their day better. Like just by being a good person mm. and like not not getting down, not gossiping, all these other things. Uh,
0: you can actually make people's day better. <laughs> Mm-hmm. every day mm-hmm. so and, and at least at, or at the very worst not make it worse by being
1: in exactly. a foul mood right? exactly so i think that's one of the things that you can cling to regardless of whether you feel like medicine wise you're not having the impact you wanted to or anything else like well what can you influence what mm. what can you do to make things better
0: yeah yeah because i was thinking like uh from an em perspective is like how does an emergency medicine physician make somebody happier but when you describe it that way just just in the human interactions that you have with your staff with your colleagues and with your patients it's like you can at least you can you can bring a little pep into their step in then that way mm-hmm. um i guess uh you know, a question that I usually ask when it's sort of that kind of uh, vagary of like make like m- help people be happier is like, is there a, like a number that you're trying to reach? Is there like, or is this like a constant practice that you want to have through the rest of your life?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the. It's sort of a continuous thing, and realize you need to you need to check yourself as you go and see what can I do to be better about this. And so I think the number isn't isn't really important. It's it's about maximizing your capabilities, I guess, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you can only influence the number of people you can influence. But you could possibly always do a better job. Mm. So so the numbers, I think, are somewhat irrelevant and more of, you know... <laughs> working to the best of your
0: ability that makes sense yeah and it's also uh, you know with a lot of people too i'd also <clears> ask um is there like a stop point is there a point where you're like i've done enough and i can sort of like just chill out and do my thing I and mean, for, for just your personality type i'd say like you're kind of like let's always do this and that and is would you say that's accurate well
1: yeah because and again it's one of those things that it's also going to make your life better by doing it. Mm-hmm. so like to to decide to stop behaving in that way is also going to make your life worse so so there's not really a good reason to stop Mm -hmm. ever Mm -hmm. Uh, sort of everything else is an added benefit
0: like more happiness is always better (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah
1: i've been happy long enough (laughs) (laughs) i think it's time to be miserable okay
0: and so um uh what else is that what else do you want before you die um
1: well i think i think most of it relates to that uh because you know that's what i want for my kids that's what i want for my wife that's what i want mm-hmm. i mean that's really you know i think really and you look at medicine what what is our purpose in medicine all of us right We're, we either want to prolong life <laughs> or we want to add quality to the life mm-hmm. that's that's really our job so i think that's just another avenue of of accomplishing the same goal um if your if your mood is at a constant five or lower you're not going to have the same quality of life as somebody who's at a eight or higher kind of <laughs> for the most part, you know, uh-huh. just in general. So I think it's from the medicine perspective, it's, it's very, it aligns very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say though, like those two things I want to improve people's quality of life. I mean, I think my focus a lot is on my children cause I want, that's, that's, those are my pet projects, right? Yes, yeah, 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 that's true. <laughs> um, but it's, t- it's tough when they're young children. They, you can't really reason with young children very well.
0: <laughs> and it's like you're, you're trying to out-logic them, and they're exactly. like, we're doing this other thing, guy.
1: Yeah, but I want more screen time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but, well, what you're doing isn't going to get that for you. Like, yeah, but I want <laughs> <laughs> I want it. It doesn't, it doesn't really work that well. So, um, yeah. So, but, I, I mean, really, that's, that's, I feel like, my purpose in life.
0: Mm-hmm. And so... Um... So, the, yeah, there are two avenues. And one, one avenue we've talked a little bit, of, like, a lot about in terms of, like, being a physician and the way you, see you can interact with your patients is, like... But I also wonder, like, do you imagine yourself being, a, like, a hospitalist EM physician, like, for, the, for your career? Like, what do you imagine in terms of, like, how that plays out for the rest of your life?
1: I, I feel like that would be ideal, thinking about it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't really know. I don't know. Like, I would, I would take opportunities if I felt... At the time, like I would do a good job at them, and I would be able to have a bigger impact. Um, Can you imagine
0: what any of those would be?
1: You know, like sor- certain administrative roles or, oh, okay, or okay. things like that. Mm-hmm. If I, <clears throat> so I think if those opportunities came and I really felt like I was the best person for the job, then I would want to take take advantage. So, um, if I could, if I could do more good in mm, that role as mm-hmm. as my current role, then I would want to take advantage.
0: Gotcha. Of it. That makes sense. Yeah, like we're, like how, doing almost <laughs> like a. Uh, uh, utilitarian like how can I do the most good Yeah, that makes sense and then in terms of uh, your children like do you know uh, like I guess like just, just talking about that logic in your, your children like how is that what is what is the process that you are with your with the philosophy that you've described in your approach to both spirituality and like a practical like to make people more happy like how how are you applying that to uh, raising these young minds um <laughs> Well, it's tough, because
1: it, <laughs> it really is, you know, I, I'm still trying to figure that out, honestly, because, um, you know, it never quite works out like you hope, <laughs> uh, and like, I feel like...
0: What are some like, ways where it didn't work out how you hoped?
1: Well, so, I, I feel like I was a pretty happy kid overall, I didn't really throw out of tantrums, things like that, <laughs> Right. Um,
0: As as the person who has grown up now, maybe your parents would have a different view.
1: I don't know. I actually probably think they would probably agree. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, And then so it's tough. Like thinking, (laughs) you know, I'm a very very try to be a very rationally minded person and like think through things logically, but it just doesn't work that easily (laughs) with the kids. So you want them to like change their behavior, like throw in a tantrum. You're like, well, this isn't really doing you any good. Like you're. You're still not getting what you want, and you might get in more trouble, but it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. So, like, that part of my brain um, doesn't seem to always always be beneficial when
0: yeah I when see I, you know like a, a parallel to what we were talking <clears> about <throat> before the interview started was the whole like you use peace to change minds and use yeah. violence to change behaviors and yeah it's like you don't you don't really I mean I imagine you don't really want to utilize this the stick against the kids to, to change their behavior you want to be like that level above and use the the rationality but if they don't even if they're not even in that point where their behavior is just it's like how do you do, how do exactly
1: you do it? so it's one of those things like yelling at the kids um, cause you'll try and tell them something over and over and they don't listen. So it's like, well, at this point, if it's, if it's that, so I try to keep that perspective and, you know, am I trying to change their behavior right now because something needs to happen right now? Or am I trying to, am I trying to change their ideals, which doesn't really work that well to be honest. <laughs> so, so I do sometimes resort to that and I feel like sometimes I struggle with it. Is, is that the best way to do it? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but you know, sometimes you just you just need to change behavior, um, mm. and that's that's appropriate. But and again, I don't know if I'll ever know if I'm doing the right thing or not. But mm. I think you got to work with what you got.
0: Yeah, one thing I'm I'm like sort of coming to the realization, especially as I like kind of take the perspective of like how my parent, my dad and my mother was raised, and how they raised me, and then how I'm gonna raise you, is like we're all gonna fuck up our kids. It's just like, in what specific ways, you know? Cause yeah. you can, you're gonna do it, but it's like, you know, that's just the unfortunate reality of yep. being a human, raising another human. Um, and it's like, how, it's just like, kind of at least being mindful about like, I'm gonna do it in this way. Like I'm gonna mess them up in this way. Yep. Um, yeah. And it's just, uh, I guess, is there, what is uh, like screen time is an easy behavior to discuss. Like in terms of like, that's a thing that you're trying to, like what are some of the ways that you think you've done well and done poorly?
1: Well, we're pretty good about being firm. Like we decided that they're gonna get two hours screen time, and sometimes they'll I mean it's a little over, but then sometimes it'll be a treat. Like we'll have a movie night on Friday night. Like okay, this day you can have a little more, mm-hmm. but it's it's very regimented.
0: And then and when you say screens, <clears> do you mean like phones plus TVs? Any of that? Anything. Anything with LED, yeah. LCDs kind of. Yeah.
1: The only thing we've allowed my son, he he's a big reader. My oldest son, Aiden. Uh, so we'll let him use his Kindle. It's like the paper white one. Yeah, right? so it's not
0: yeah. really the same level. Of exactly. Like,
1: so we're like, we okay, we'll allow that above and beyond that. But that so that's like the biggest struggle in my house all the time is screen time. Mm-hmm. And then so to punish them, like that's usually what will be taken away as well. So mm-hmm. they'll get like you'll get three strikes, and if you get your third strike, you don't get an hour of screen time. Um, mm-hmm. And it so it it causes a lot of strife <laughs> when it has to be taken away. But the funny thing is, is when you when we limited it to the two hours like initially it was a little bit of a struggle, but now that is not a struggle really to like, if it,
0: that is the new normal,
1: it's the, exactly. so that that's
0: what the bar is sort of. <laughs>
1: exactly. Up. So, but then if you take away more beyond that, then that's where the struggle usually comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, it's been kind of interesting as I thought it'd be, I thought it'd be much more difficult. Like this was, this was very much originally my wife's idea. I was like, I had, I had watched screen time all the time when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, like I play video games all the time and stuff. Um, But then I also went outside and and played outside a lot, too.
0: Yeah, it's a very interesting thing to consider how different the screens are that children have now versus the screens that we have, uh, like, when we had, like, when we were children. Like, it's like, you know, the big CRT is, like, one big TV for the whole family, and then you, like, you had to fight people for the TV, you know? Yeah. Versus now it's like everybody can have their own screen, and one person can watch multiple screens because they have a phone and a TV going at the same time. So it's a very bizarro world of, like candy that is going into the eyes that's just different than we had like it's a ex- we're all kind of experimenting on these kids right yeah, in terms yeah. of like how do you do it yeah and uh in terms of modeling behavior like have you noticed like in terms of like because your your children are at an age where they can see you and see like dad's no- dad doesn't have two hours of you know like how oh. does that play out so well
1: i mean there's often that i help them will have more than and they see that <laughs> um i mean mo- a lot of times it's due to studying or things like that yeah, but again exactly. i tell them i'm like look your brain's still growing like this is why we don't want you to have that much screen time because your brain's still growing and we want it to grow as well as it can mm-hmm. um and they're like well <laughs> we're, like we're adults the rules are just different mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and they got kind of accept that okay all right, that's fair. It's just such a wacky, wacky thing. And uh, it's just this new generation is just going to have such a different experience of like <clears throat> screens and technology than we ever could have imagined growing mm-hmm. up. So it's just, I always like picking people's brains about that. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else that you want before you die other than to continue to make people happier? Well, I think that's good. It's a pretty good one. It's a pretty good one. Um, now, how do you finish that next prompt? When I die, I want
1: so when I die <laughs> I want this is the, sorry this is the hardest one for me because I I like to think that I'm not going to have any regrets like in general in life I think that regrets are not helpful mm-hmm. I'm more of <laughs> forward thinking right mm-hmm. so if something if there's something about bef- something that's already happened that I don't like I want to change how I behave now or in the future to make sure that doesn't happen again mm-hmm. like there's no point in living in the past and and making those changes but then when you're about to die, like, that's kind of, like, you can't really think, like, what am I going to change in the future? Like, that doesn't really, it doesn't really apply there.
0: Um, It's a moment of pure retrospection.
1: Exactly. So that's, it's going to be very different for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) It's tough. Like, I want to think that I've done all I can, which obviously is never going to happen. You're never going to do all you can. You're never going to be, do what you want to do perfectly. But I at least want to set my children up at a, at a minimum to be, to have the same philosophy in life mm. that I have, um, and to be able to spread that and sort of, you know, that would be the way that my legacy lives on, regardless of whether I'm successful with my book or with anything else. Um, I think that that's, that's the one thing that I really hope to, to think at the time is like, this is going to live on.
0: Mm. Yeah. They, the, those children are like a legacy problem. they <clears> their <throat> I. Yeah, but do you think that uh, like, were you to die today, uh, would you have done so in a, like? Have you already lived in such a way that they are able to continue that? <clears throat>
1: um,
0: probably not.
1: <laughs> uh, I would hope that they. I mean, so my book not quite finished. I mean, like, but I think there's enough there where if somebody read it, they can get an idea. And I mm-hmm. would hope that they would know, you know, from my wife and everyone else who I was. You know, even if they they saw sort of a different side of me sometimes, um, and I would hope that as they grew up and thought about it more, that they'd be able to reach that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like it's it's certainly not a finished project, which it might not ever be, but certainly not at this point a finished project. But you know, you got to you mm-hmm. got to take what life gives you. So
0: mm-hmm. um, yeah. Do you know, like, uh, like I guess, what level of development do you think will be that, like, sort of, like, uh, this is, like, this, they've, like, can you even imagine that level of development in the children of, like, where, where, like, I feel like they have received enough of my wisdom to at least, like, kind of carry on in this direction?
1: I think, so I was thinking back in my life when I probably would have been ready to start thinking about this stuff. I, that was probably, like, in that, around that 12-year-old range mm-hmm. um, to at least know enough to ask a lot of those questions Mm -hmm. and to be able to understand a little bit.
0: Like, it wouldn't have been comfortable, but you wouldn't have been able to.
1: Yeah, so I feel like that's probably about the time. I mean, I don't know, maybe a little sooner. Um, At least to get the,
0: you know, the seed in there. Mm -hmm. Um, But, it's tough to uh, know. It's tough to know. you know, that's assuming you're raising perfect little Nate (laughs) Bakers, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um... So that 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 idea of like kind of hoping that you've left them in that state that's that's sort of like a almost before you die. But I wonder have you had uh have you considered what that transition <clears throat> moment will be like from life to death?
1: Um I mean I've thought about it and I, I like to think that I'm going to be happy at that time because mm-hmm. I don't see why I wouldn't be. Um uh you know all things come to an end mm-hmm. and You know, there's no point in, you know, I think that's too, I've thought about this in relation to when would I want to be a DNI, when would I want to be a Mm. DNR, Uh, and and it's always, it's always, to me, been like, if I'm able to cognitively process things and share that with other people, then I feel like I can still serve a purpose in being alive, but Mm. if I lose that, then I feel like I don't really, I won't really have that purpose anymore and it's okay to let me go (laughs) so yeah so i want you know if if there is one of those situations i want i do want that to be well understood
0: because Um, once you get past that point, you're unable to make that you're almost like by definition unable to make that decision right
1: yeah exactly so i guess that'd be one thing
0: and um I mean, I imagine the answer is yes from your history and also from from your time as an EM physician or like EM uh, fourth year. Um, but like, have you been in the presence of of death? Yes. Has yeah. there been a death that affected you greatly? Um, actually, not
1: really. Uh, so, well, I mean, uh, so my, my grand—I've had three grandparents that passed away, um, and yeah, that I mean, it was kind of. It was a surreal experience because I feel like I, I don't. I'm I'm not a super emotional person. I don't know if that's mm. that comes across, but but in that time, like when my my grandma died, she on my mom's side. That was the first person I knew that had passed away.
0: Were you physically it, there?
1: Uh, I wasn't there when she passed away, but I was there, so I went for her funeral.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: before that, I was kind of like, how am I stro- how am I going to do this? But then when I saw her, and I, I like just broke down crying. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like a very. It was like maybe a couple minutes, and then I was, like, at, I was sort of at peace with it. <laughs> so it was, like, it's a weird thing, though, because it's, like...
0: And was that the first dead human that you had ever seen? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so it was kind of a weird thing, where it was, like, is it okay for me to be okay with this now? <laughs> you know? uh-huh. when, when is it, like, in a, in an appropriate time to be done grieving? Like, I feel like... I, I And I wasn't done grieving at that point, because I feel like grief is really more about trying to figure out what your life is without that person in it. And
0: know? it's a, it's a function of time.
1: Exactly. Right? But, but I, you know, like that very heavy, it hit me and it was like, I was done, you know, mm-hmm. with that part. Um, so, but there was, there was almost like, was that enough? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I feel like we shouldn't really judge people how they grieve because, you know, everyone's going to process it their own way, but, um, yeah. But I think that's sort of how it's always been. Like it'll hit me very hard, but like only for a couple minutes, and then I'll recover. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, do I not love them as much? Because, <laughs> but I don't think I don't think that's the case. It's just mm-hmm. that's just how That's
0: it, you know, like. Very, it's like a weird extension of that problem solver. It's just like yeah. I feel it, and then it's and then I don't feel it. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, so were those were, were those grandparents really the the only exposures that you had <clears throat> to human death, like, in terms of, like, an emotional impact? Yeah, I think for the most part, yeah. Mm-hmm. Alright, and then, but, like, no, like, that, have there been, a, like, <clears throat> what, like for any of the grandparents, were you in the presence of their passage from life to death? No. Uh, what about for other, like, humans that you've seen, like, whether in, like, clinic <clears throat> or, or, you know, in the you know, world? I
1: haven't been there when they actually passed. Some, the first one I saw when I was working clinically was actually before I started medical school when I was a uh, monitor technician oh, really? and I saw them die on the monitor oh so that was a little that was a little weird what was that experience like um well, was, that's a
0: very it's like you're seeing it but you're not yeah. seeing the human like you're
1: yeah s- yeah it was kind of weird because I, I don't think I'd ever actually seen them it was like you could just see like the heart rate slowing and slowing and then just shh, done and I was like wow I was like I feel like I should have more of an emo- emotional reaction to this than yeah. I'm having too. Um so
0: <laughs> Yeah, I also I imagine that's almost like uh when you hear about the the weird uh um uh moral injury that that that, that like drone operators have when they see people but they they're not like there and they're just like, you know, it's like that kind of like it's that level of distance that just doesn't even allow for any real emotion. You but you're like I feel like I should. Yeah interesting and so um i mean in the em world you're gonna do, do you do you even know like what you will do you, i guess so like i have in i had in my head like what would i what would i do when somebody dies in my presence and <coughs> how would i honor that you know and i imagine like do you have any way because you're gonna see it happen like it's just you know like we're talking about like reps and you know, like shifts you're gonna see it in the ed like what do you do you even have an imagination what that process will be like or feel like for you well, I feel like
1: I will, the way I will honor them is to look back at what I did and what I could have done differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, and if it turns out that nothing I would have done would have done anything, then I need to accept that. But then I think, too, sort of to honor their memory in my mind, it would be if there was something I could do better to improve on that so then I can do something better the next time. Mm-hmm. But I think, too, there's also... It's a weird dynamic when you're an attending physician and that you're in a leadership role as well. So I think it's very important to be able to understand that not everyone is going to process things the same way. And then two, I might not even process it the way I think I'm going to process it. It might be very idealized and it might be way harder uh, than I than I think it's going to be. Um, so I think that it's important to have that empathy. And know, you know, if people need to take a moment, it's it's going to be better for all of your other patients that they are able to process what happened and mm. function at the best of their ability. Um, so, yeah, I think that both of those things are pretty
0: important. And so um, circling back to your death experience, like, do you have, like, an idealized way that you would like to die? Like would it be with family around? Would it be in a hospital? Would it be in a hospice? Would it be in your home? Like do you have like kind of like, you know, like life is gonna happen to you if it happens to you. But like in, in your like idealized world in brain, you know, like how would you experience that death?
1: Um, I don't know. Sometimes I think it'd be nice if it like I didn't even know if it was coming. <laughs> it's just like almost happened. like
0: almost like the RPG. It was just like if it was just <clears throat> a foot closer and it was just like boom, let's yeah.
1: uh but then you know it'd be cuz i feel like i would want to be at the point then to where you know like those final words that are so important mm-hmm. like i feel like i would want to be at the point where the those aren't necessary um so i i would i guess i'd want to be at that point that would be my goal
0: mm. to be
1: at that point where those final words are not necessary <laughs> because i'd probably just make like a stupid joke or something <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> yeah you
0: probably would i mean yeah okay that's fair um, yeah, it's going to be, uh, and, and almost like, I guess when you finish this book, will you feel like those are almost like your final words? Like in terms of like being able to like have really <clears throat> a comprehensive, logical, like fully thought out, rational idea. Yeah. So I, I've thought about this before and I, I felt like
1: things that have happened in my life have steered me towards doing this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, like, what happened with getting injured was, like, very much, like, I very probably should have died there. But mm-hmm. I didn't die. So, like, it's, like, really seems like, to me, like, I really need to do this. Um, but then it's, like, once that's out there, like, <laughs> do I need to be around anymore? Yeah. It's, like, that weird thing, like, like has God been making me go through this and keeping me alive to get this out there mm-hmm. and then if i am like is that protection gone yeah, yeah, like,
0: <laughs> do i need to procrastinate <laughs> that until like my deathbed like just that final like period or something yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> so all right i've actually had those thoughts before um but you know what I, it's getting what it's gonna happen is gonna happen mm. so <laughs> there's no point in really dwelling on that
0: uh <laughs> that's very funny that's a very funny idea <laughs> okay um is there anything else you want when you die? No, I think that's good. I think that's pretty good, too. Um, and how do you finish this final prompt, After I Die, I want... <laughs> After
1: I Die, I want to have a purpose or nothing.
0: <laughs> okay. And, I mean, we talked a little bit about that yeah. beforehand. And just because that's a problem-solver nature, you want to be able to, like, you know, the forever. <laughs> <laughs> that idea. But it's also, um, like... Uh, I guess why is nothing preferable to not having a purpose? well, I think
1: so it's hard because you can't really picture mm-hmm. what it's going to be like, right mm-hmm. but I feel like if that's not my perspective, then I'm not really me like so I feel like I'm not actually mm-hmm. surviving at all. It's like some figment of me mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. so but I feel like overall if you're if everything's just adequate <laughs> like, <laughs> then, then like what what's really the purpose of what, what why are you even around like mm. i guess it would be almost the same in, in some ways and it's like yeah you could be around your family and all that too which i mean to me it seems like that should be it right like you're with your family so everything's good but like but then that's gonna be the same thing like is that really my family because <laughs> they're not the same either so I don't know if that's enough. So, but but again, it's like whatever happens happens. Like I'm not going to control, I'm not going to be able to control that. Mm-hmm. So, I think preferably, I mean I, I I would like there to just be an end. Like I've done what I've done and it's like and it's it over. Out. Yeah. Like that would be perfectly fine with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like but I don't know. And then when you know, if it if it all occurs like that and I go to heaven, then maybe it will be perfectly fine and I was just processing things completely incorrectly (laughs) here that's a that's a valid possibility Um.
0: and you leave and you know you logically leave that door open because you know you don't know exactly um what uh what uh, what do you imagine for the deep future when i talk about like tens of thousands of years and hundreds of thousands of years in the future like what do you like when when i even say that like what do you like think of
1: apocalypse (laughs) like like it's gotta happen right? like like the way we're going as a society Mm -hmm. it's just not sustainable but there might be a point where you know it's like it's more like a star trek situation or something to where we figure out space travel and we just like populate the entire universe and then you know Mm. i don't know it's either Uh,
0: apocalypse or awesome
1: (laughs) well if if that is even awesome i don't know oh that's a very good question if you know you look at like movies like avatar i'm like that's probably pretty accurate if we found alien civilizations and we were the superior ones we we would probably take them over and like make their life hell um so yeah so i i that's why i really hope that i can change some perspective and Make people realize what's important, what's not important. Uh, so hopefully we can avoid <laughs> things like that. Um, but I I wouldn't say I'm super optimistic.
0: <laughs> just,
1: but yeah, uh, realistically, uh, but I, I think at least some people it could be better for. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: yeah, and uh, I guess like thinking about that like deep teacher, do you think it would be like like. Do do you, like I imagine, I imagine like future happening in like a groove down a mountain, and like there are some grooves that are just heavier than others, and like do you imagine we're just gonna keep going <clears throat> in this groove where you like <laughs> heading straight towards apocalypse? Like do you are you like and I know you said you're not like quite optimistic, but like could you even imagine how we'd get to that optimistic level?
1: Yeah, well I think I think people's perspectives need to change, and that's really it. Is this idea of what we think of as success, is so shallow and it doesn't really lead to people being any happier right mm. like you're just if you're like always for more more and more wealth it's never enough you're never going to be content with what you have you're going to have like 17 yachts and 18 houses and you're still like not satisfied with what you have it's like well, you're never going to be you're never going to get there how do you not see that <clears throat> <clears throat> Uh you know or the more power you have or whatever else it's just like you need to be okay like right, like right now, I, I mean, we don't have a ton of money right now, but like, I feel like I'm probably happier than any person that is way more wealthy, has all this stuff, just because, just because of that perspective, and, uh, you know, I think you, but that's what's going to be needed if you, if we want to make any meaningful change, <laughs> people mm-hmm. need to understand that.
0: So I guess a question that I have for you then is, what is that? How like have you? seen that state shift happen in somebody where they kind of like let go of that perspective of happiness and change to a different one like or like uh have you helped assisted somebody to make that change like what what and i know that like, i imagine in theory like this book is like going to do you to function as that state <clears> shift, but like have you seen it and like what does that process look like to people
1: so i feel like i've only really seen it in myself and mm-hmm. that as i learn more and more what then i'm able to change myself and and process things much better um so yeah I, I definitely have not entirely seen that change in anybody else but i think like that's sort of be expected because i don't think i've really reached that myself until very recently where i'm pretty mm. confident of this is all what i want and i have not even fully put that down on paper mm. <laughs> to share with other people um yeah, so that but that puts a pretty pretty heavy burden on this book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it does, it does, and that's one of those things with these kind of, with these tomes. Is it can just be like it's a weight that uh, you know, and it's like when are you done? And it's like have yeah. I have you lived? Because you know, like at this point, you're like I lived enough to be able to start it, but have you lived enough to finish it?
1: Yeah, I I I think I'm I think I'm close anyway. But yeah, I was just thinking about this the other day. Like I'm probably gonna get like that ninety nine percent, and then I don't know if I'm gonna be confident enough to be like, okay.
0: Like, George Armor. Off you
1: fly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think I think it'll be I think it'll be okay. I think it'll be good enough. <laughs> good yeah. enough to do to do what I want it to do. Um
0: yeah. All right. and, uh, is there anything else you want after you die? Nope. It's good. <laughs> nothing more than nothing. <laughs> or purpose. All or purpose, right. yes. Yeah, that's right. And so we've been talking for, I think, like an hour and a half, two hours. It's <clears throat> been great. This has been a lot of fun. And so I know that this is... Uh... You are definitely one of the one of the people in our class that I'm like, before we scatter, you know, I really would like, because this is, it's a rare opportunity to find people like this and also to know that there's a definite, like, we're going away, you know? And it's like, yeah. and I think this would have been very different had we done, like, a, a, over, like, the internet through a computer, through the screen time. Yeah. You know, it would have just been a very different conversation, <laughs> and I think it would have been worse, worse for it. So I'm really glad that we had this opportunity. Um, I want to thank you for that. And I also want to uh, give you the floor to address the audience directly uh, to somebody uh, that you know, for whatever reason, resonates with your story, whether it is the the wounded veteran, whether it is the emergency physician that wants to make the, their colleagues happier, or whether it's through this book. You know, you finally put it out. They read it, and they're like, want to hear your your literal voice, um, and just like, uh, or maybe it's your children, uh, deep in the future, maybe after you've gone, um, just to he- just to say something to the audience, whoever's listening. Uh, the floor is yours.
1: Uh, so I'd just say, if I if I struck a chord a little bit in what I was talking about, and you're more interested um the book that i'm writing i'm going to make it free uh available as an ebook um and it's going to be called how christians are failing christ so uh keep that in mind this is we're currently on, what what's the date today oh yeah is, is april actually? 14th 2019 <laughs> 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 it's all good don't worry it's all good (laughs) so um, I'm hoping to have it done you know at least by the end of the year hopefully even sooner than that Um, so so give it a look and um, you know you can share my email too I can give it to you if you want to share it when you post it Mm -hmm. you can I mean I'll be definitely interested in talking with anyone who's interested has any questions or you know, if you read my book and you have sta- thoughts and you want to mm. rip it apart or whatever else, <laughs> I'm always down for a good debate.
0: You are. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. This, uh, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you, Nate. Uh, this has been Nate Baker on Death. So, uh, what is your name and how do you spell it?
1: Nathaniel Baker, N A T H A N I E L B A K E
0: R. And do you want to go by Nathaniel for the purposes of like transcription or do you want to go by Nate? We can go Nathan- by Nate. Nate? Okay. Keep it simple. Very simple. Uh, what is your age? I am 30. Maybe what am I now? 33? Yeah, 33. 33 years <laughs> old. Uh, what is your gender identity and preferred set of pronouns? Uh, I am male and he. Good. And uh, when I say home, what do you think of? Wherever my family is. <laughs> yeah. So right now it's uh, where? <clears throat> Well, here, well, in Allentown, mm-hmm. and uh, it was Alaska more recently. Uh, well, from
1: Florida, and then so, oh yeah, Florida, and then and then before that, Alaska. Gotcha. Before that, North Carolina. Before that, Georgia. Okay. Before that, Illinois. Little...
0: <laughs> and so, um, has it? So I guess like I don't know the chronology of your family necessarily. Mm-hmm. So like. Was it, um, when it was just you and your lady, was it, was it home wherever you two were or was yes. it, was it once the, like the kids started coming in, that's when you started thinking home is where we are?
1: Yeah. I think once, uh, once my wife and I got married, it was, that was home where we were. Yeah. Um, but then before that, I think I always thought of home as Illinois cause that's where you grew up. That's where I grew
0: up. Okay. Um, okay, cool. And what is something in the past six months that you've been proud of?
1: Uh so I guess I can't be totally proud yet. <laughs> but I've been I've been working on a, a book. Oh yeah. And I'm about I'd say like seventy five, eighty percent
0: done oh, with it. Oh dang. Okay. So somebody... what uh how uh how are you measuring seventy five, eighty percent done with it?
1: Um, it's sort of a rough guess, but mm-hmm. I, I mean I have in my mind what I wanted to say in my book. Mm-hmm. Um and then so I think I mean, I've pretty much started every chapter. I just haven't finished them, so it's just mm-hmm. sort of roughly guessing that there's about <laughs> twenty five, maybe percent, okay. that more that I've wanted to say that I have not yet found the words to say.
0: Yeah. Okay. And um, uh, when did you start this book? Mm-hmm. And uh, how does it feel to be this like far done with it?
1: So I well, I started planning this really when I was an undergrad, so this was probably oh, no. like 2005. Okay. But I don't think I was ever quite ready. I don't think I would lived enough in my life and learned enough to really do it justice until mm. now.
0: Okay.
1: Um. So I just started actually writing it probably December.
0: Oh, wow. So you've just been <clears throat> like chugging through. Yeah. Okay. And what is the process of writing? Uh, You know, because I I do some writing, but it's like a very different style of writing than like a formal like chapter, you know, like and having that outline. So like, what has the process been for you?
1: So I just, whenever I have time, I just (laughs) kind of sit down and, and write. I mean, I feel like I have most of it. I've had most of it in my head. Some of it for... For over a decade, but other than that, I think it's it's mostly stuff that I just need to find how to take it out of my brain and put it on paper. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> whenever whenever I have the time, I just try and I eke out as much as I can.
0: Okay, um, and so uh, I want to drill into this just because it's very interesting. You know, like the, every everyone every writer will do things a little bit differently, and so like we have medical school as one one thing, and then you have how many kids again? Three, three kids. Um, and you know that's that's a lot of juggling to do. And um, like, what does finding the time look like for you? Like, is it like, do you wake up really early? Do you uh, w- uh, do you stay up really late, or do you just like when everyone's like doing other things, that's when you do it? So it depends.
1: Sometimes, uh, so I've had some a decent amount of off time this year, which mm. has been nice. So a lot of times it'll be me at home uh, alone with my daughter while my other two older children are at school mm-hmm. uh so then sometimes she'll be playing with her toys and i'll find some time okay other times i'll i'll stay up after they're asleep and do it i usually i'm not much of a wake up early and do things type of person so okay. that that has not happened to this point <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, okay usually
1: it's one of those two things though
0: that makes sense and um Like, is it, do you try, like, uh, how regimented are you in the approach of writing? Is it like you try to do, like, something every week, every day, or is it just like when, literally whenever you find the time because of how wacky things can be?
1: Yeah, I'm not at all regimented, (laughs) even a little bit. Um, I I think... There's been weeks where I've written very little. There's probably been... There was probably at least a whole month in there where I wrote almost nothing Mm. uh, just because things were crazy or whatever else. And then there's been other times where, you know, in a week I've gotten huge chunks.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And, Mm. um, like, uh... I guess, like, is there, is it more of, like, a narrative story, or is it, like, more autobiographical memoir? Like, what's, what, what's, like, the whole, like, what are you doing with this book?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's more of a philosophical book. Oh, interesting. So okay. it's, uh, the title of the book is How Christians Are Failing Christ. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so that's, it's kind of talking about what, what it means to me to be a Christian, mm-hmm. which I think I have a different viewpoint than what a lot of other people think, um, And a lot of it talks about the fruit of the spirit. I don't know if you're familiar so much with the concept. Um, It's something that Paul talks about in one of his letters. uh, And he says, The fruit of the spirit is uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self
0: control. How many is that?
1: Nine. Okay. (laughs) So, well, so I consider it to be one because he doesn't say fruits, it says fruit. Okay. So I consider it to be one thing.
0: And like using a lot um, of words to describe that.
1: Exactly. So. How I see, I see if you add all those things together, that's a pretty good approximation of what happiness means to me.
0: Okay. Um,
1: so I think the, the the reason it's a fruit and not fruits is because you really need all of those things to truly be happy. And if you're missing any one of those things, then at that point you are not happy.
0: Okay.
1: Um And I think a lot of people look at the, that and <clears throat> they they believe it's something to strive towards. They believe that it's you know this is how a Christian should behave. But I think you, a lot of people are missing an important point. the fact that it's called a fruit, and the, if you look at botanically, what the purpose of a fruit is it's to spread a seed. Mm-hmm. That's what all <laughs> fruits do. So if you think about it that way, and you know so evangelical Christianity has become so big, mm-hmm. and uh, I think a lot of people think that evangelism just talking about what you believe is the way to spread the seed, and I think really it's more about your actions you need to you need to show somebody that you have something in your life that they're missing that they want Mm. um so i think and i think that that is going to that would do much more than your words or whatever else if they see that you are struggling in life just as much as they are if you're losing it and work and whatever (laughs) else they're not going to think like oh this person Mm. this person has insights that i need to that i need to really think about Mm. you know but if you do those things on a regular basis and you make it Make it a point to do that. I think people will be curious.
0: <laughs> Why
1: is it that you're able to do that when everyone else is freaking out? you're, yeah. you're able to stay calm. You're able to.
0: Yeah, so it's almost like, uh, like, even like the the difference that you're describing, like, sort of making a dichotomy, is like evangelism is more like pushing and and, and uh, like a press, whereas uh, this this like living a good life in such a way that people are like, what? How do you? What do you do? That's different. Is more of like a pull where people are like attracted to it rather than this being forced on them.
1: So I think about it like this so actually the bible in a lot of times mentions the word of god as water okay so if you think of the analogy like that it actually makes a lot of sense so if, if there's if you have soil and there's no seed in it and you water it it's not going to do any good right so you think you can think of the fruit of the spirit as a way to for the seeds to find fertile soil and once the seed finds fertile soil then evangelism would have an important place then okay. that's what you would water it to make it grow okay
0: all right that makes sense um, and how are you organizing this book
1: so I, I start by talking about background and so as I mentioned I talk about what it means to to me to be a Christian mm-hmm. um, so I talk about whether or not you need to look at everything in the Bible as the literal infallible Word of God or whether you should really just look at the things that Jesus says consider that to be the only thing that's completely beyond reproach and everything else is sort of can help you understand mm-hmm. what he is saying but more they, metaphorical exactly or or is, you know you can think of it like a sermon if you go mm-hmm. on Sunday that that person is not speaking for god necessarily they're they're taking their interpretation of what's been said and then trying mm-hmm. to deliver it to you in a way that can make sense to you mm-hmm. so i think that if you look at all the other writers not even the other writers, but everyone else that, that speaks throughout the Bible, uh, I would think of it almost the same way as you would think of any sermon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can help you understand better what Jesus said, um, but I don't think that it should be considered absolute law.
0: Okay, okay. And so that's, that's how you start it. And then, and then, like.
1: And then, so I talk about the fruit of the Spirit, just a, more in general, and then I go into each one. Um, oh, okay. And then talk about what it really means. Because mm-hmm. I think that that's one of the problems too. Is I don't think people necessarily understand what it means. And I think too, you know, if you think of it in this in this frame of reference, you don't you don't necessarily need to be living that way all the time. There could be reasons to not be living that way. You know, for, so for instance, if you're the one thing peace. When I think about peace, um, so in general, I think if you look at peace, it's it's much better. Than violence at changing someone's values, right? If you mm-hmm. if you want to change the way a society thinks, you're not gonna do it through violence. Mm-hmm. But violence can work very well to change the way somebody acts, right? Okay. <laughs> the threat of violence is a very good motivator to, mm-hmm. to stop your actions. Okay. So it's not so it's not going to change the way that a whole society views things in general. I think it can you know it can make you more firm in your beliefs, but but it's not going to it's not gonna accomplish that. Um so if you want to change how a society thinks, you look at what Martin Luther King Jr. did, you know. That's he changed the way an entire society perceived. Well, I guess not the entire society, but mm. you know how we how we deal with that. Um But then you look at certain you know, if you look at the time of Nazi Germany, mm. I don't think there was really a way to solve that peacefully, to to stop those horrors from happening. Because it wasn't You, no one was really in the position to change their ideology. You needed to change their behavior.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I see. Like, there's a certain point where it's like you use a stick, but then after a certain point, you you can use like the peace carrot. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, And I think so. If you look at it too, the only reason I think that it was so successful in changing the way that they were that they were acting at the time was because really Hitler had no support in Germany at that time. Like, if you look at it nobody was really supporting him so when he got toppled it wasn't like there was a bunch of people in outrage you know as opposed to if you look at things that happened in Iraq and Afghanistan I think it was a much different uh it was a much different scenario where Mm -hmm. um they might not have liked the methods that were used a lot of times but they did have a lot of support um and so we weren't really able to change how people thought about a lot of the things that have been happening um but we were able to for a time Force people to change mm-hmm. the way that, but then you know that's not going to work long term, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so I think you, you need to keep that in mind. Um,
0: okay, and so you progress through all, the, all of those nine different like aspects of the mm-hmm. fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess like a question that I have um, is uh, what do you think has changed in the past uh year or so where you felt like you've lived enough life to be able to really start diving into the actual manuscript? So I th- there was a couple things
1: that I was a little stuck on well, what I believed. Um, so faithfulness I think has always been uh, has always been a little rough for me because I'm a pretty <laughs> skeptical person. Yes, you are. Um, so that that has been one that's that I've struggled with. But I think as I as I read more and I looked at it, it's it's almost sort of a paradox because in the Bible uh, there's there's times when you know. So I go back the, how a lot of Christians see faith is belief in the power of God. That's it. So, you know, the believe that he can perform miracles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there was some, a couple times in the Bible where it, it sort of muddied the water a little bit. So one of the times uh, was Jesus was on a boat and there was this horrible storm and he was sleeping and everyone else in the boat was freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. So they wake him up and, and they're like, Jesus, we're going to die. You need to help us. And he was like, ye of little faith. And then he calmed the storm, right? But, but before that, they believed that he had the power to calm the storm, but he said they did not have faith. So that, was in, so that sort of makes you think, well, the way people are thinking about this a lot is, is off. It's not, mm. it's not just faith in the power, but also in that if something needs to be done and it's better to do it, that God is going to do it or that Jesus will do it. So it's more belief in not only the power, but also the benevolence. Okay. Um. And then, so, but if you think about it, it's kind of, it makes it kind of weird. So if you, so in, in wanting God to perform a miracle, you're sort of saying, I believe you can do this, but I don't believe that you would do this if you thought it was necessary. So you're sort of contradicting yourself. Okay. Um, and yeah, and there was also a time in the old Testament with Moses where it was very similar, where, um, people were very thirsty and, uh, he, basically, God was telling him to, you know, have faith, and uh, what he did is he struck a rock and made water flow from it, and then everyone had something to drink. But this is God was angry because he didn't, he didn't listen to him, even though his faith was enough to make that miracle happen. This is what kept him from going into the promised land. Mm. So it's it kind of interesting. Those two things are such big, such big stories, but people haven't really put it together what it really means. So. Um, I think, really, if you look at it, then it's faith is really a lack of stress.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: In that, if you are unable to control something that's happening, there's really no reason to worry about it, right? I mean, even even if you don't believe in God, I think that it still holds true. Mm-hmm. So, if when I put it in that frame of reference, it it became a lot more clear to me, and it became a lot more actionable in how you how you express that i
0: think so okay so sort, of, sort of like that whole thing like uh like uh uh knowledge is knowing what you can do and wisdom is knowing what you can't is like what you can't control like that whole thing yeah exactly yeah. okay okay and, and so what 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 changed for you in that faith in that perspective like how like were there any life events that changed for you or was it just like looking at it and kind of bashing your head against this idea yeah okay that was basically <laughs> it
1: yeah um and then the other one was joy because I thought that was kind of a weird. I mean, it seems like such an obvious thing to talk about, but there's a lot of there's a lot of money in the water too. Like, what's the difference between joy and pleasure? Because, mm-hmm. um, and if you think of it, it's, if it's something you're supposed to act on all the time, it really needs to be something that is you know as a viewpoint as opposed to something that's just embracing the moment or anything like that. So, what I what I came to the conclusion of is joy in this context is more. Of a, a combination of contentment and purpose. So I think if you have contentment, that's not quite joy, right? You're not quite there. But then mm-hmm. if, you have, if you have a purpose in life mm-hmm. and you're content with your life, I think
0: that that is, at least to me, the closest approximation of oh, what joy yeah, is. Yeah, it's like those are the ingredients. Exactly. Of joy. Okay. Exactly. All right. And uh, same thing, bashing your head against the wall to get that? Or like, with, how did you arrive? It sounds like those are the two blocks, but like, how did you get past that?
1: Um, yeah, so I think I was always going to talk, I would always plan to talk about contentment but then I was, but I didn't really have a way to say like, it's a little more than contentment. Like, mm. how do you, how do you really phrase that? And then I thought about it and I was like, what, what is it that makes me myself feel joy? Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. So I think it, and it's, it's really doing things that I know are going to help people doing things, you know, moving myself forward to be a better person. And then really all those things are, are just a purpose.
0: Gotcha. Okay, and then um, what do you imagine, uh, who do you imagine as the audience for this book? Well, I mean, I think it's something that, I know there's going to be a lot of
1: people that do not like this book. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There's going to be a lot of people that really do not like this book. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think that's to be expected, that's Mm -hmm. okay, but I think it's something too, even if you don't consider yourself a Christian, I think there's a lot of it in there that could change the way you view life and could it for a better you know for the better mm-hmm. uh so so really i don't think that there's anyone that i i don't i think should not read this book but yeah i know that especially in the evangelical christian world i think there's going to be a lot i mean i go i go pretty hard after, <laughs> after that, in a couple chapters <laughs> okay. so so there's gonna be
0: you know it's coming you know yeah. it's like once it hits the communities exactly. you're gonna, gonna think oh I, no
1: i don't know how it's gonna be perceived I, i've sort of floated the chapters to a few people um. So far, it's been pretty positive responses. Yeah, my parents are very much, and uh, so I grew up in an evangelical church. If that can give you a little bit of an idea. Gotcha. And, so you know, so, you know what you're talking about. So exactly. About. So, but that's good. I mean, it's good because I can talk to them, and you know, sometimes the discussions will get a little heated. But I mean, it's always it's always fine in the end. But it, so it's it's really good to have that perspective, though, to be able to talk to them and know, it, and and sometimes they've, I've talked to them and. They made a point that I couldn't really, I couldn't really contradict that well. So I had to change my perspective. And so I think that's it was really good to try and get all those different viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Really honed, uh, I think my.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like get the extraneous uh, sharp edges off and like hone the actual uh-huh. edge that you're looking yeah. for. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Um, all this talk of water reminds me that I need water. Okay. Uh, so I'm gonna go get some. And sure. then I got one more warm-up question for you. Alright, we'll start. That's on. good. <clears throat> And do you have a hard stop? What's the hard stop to make the soccer game? Oh, we're good. I don't think
1: the soccer game is until like 3.30 or something. Okay. I wasn't even sure if they were going to have it because there's supposed to be thunderstorms today, but they haven't quite come through yet,
0: so we'll see. But yeah, I mean, we got plenty of time. (laughs) I got this little guy. It's like a nice little fidgety buddy if you want to play with it. It's nice. It's nice. I like uh, for like uh, teenagers on the adolescent unit, I would like give that to them and it's like always nice for them. And I like it, too, sometimes, just to fidget with it. Mm-hmm. it's nice. So next warm-up question um, is, what is something in the next six months that you're looking forward to?
1: Well, definitely starting residency, moving. Um, it'll be nice. So we cl- we're moving back to Illinois. We'll be closer to my brothers.
0: Okay. How close uh, to a family?
1: So we'll be two hours from two of my brothers and, I think, six hours from another one. Gotcha. We'll be kind of in the middle a little mm-hmm. bit, too, so... Yeah, I, I don't get to see him as often, but we talk a lot. Um, so it'll be nice to to have that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then just starting residency. Mm. <laughs> it's it's what we've been, we've been studying for for yes. four years. It's been really my goal since I was probably like eight years old.
0: So. Oh really? So uh, two questions with that. Like one is like I'm sure that there's a level of uh, is is, yours, is your EM is it three or four? <clears throat> three. Three, So at least you'll you'll settle for three years in, like, one place versus, like, the past. It's, like, been two and two, and especially when you're talking about... It's one thing if it's, like, you're a single person, yeah. you know, and it's a yeah. whole other thing if you're talking about uprooting a whole family and, like, setting every two years, at least three years of, like, continuity, you're like, okay, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, well, before that, <laughs> it wasn't really any better for us.
0: That's true.
1: Um, so, yeah, we haven't really lived... Me and my wife have not lived in a single place for more than two years straight. Yes.
0: Oh, so th- so this is, like, the longest stretch for, like, a little while. Yes. Oh, wow, and okay. It,
1: and we've been married for nine years,
0: so... <laughs> <laughs> so just that extra year might be nice. Um, yeah. Just like, okay, we can kind of, like, get to know this place a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and then do you know if... Like, I know this it's, like, a little far away, but do you know if you'd want to stay <clears throat> in that area, um, especially since it's more centrally located to family? hmm So we, we'll be almost certainly staying in Illinois
1: uh, the question is whether or not we're going to stay exactly where we're at or mm-hmm. move somewhere else I think a lot of that's going to depend on job situation mm-hmm. um, too because we were thinking originally we were thinking of going a little more northern Illinois where, where two of my brothers live um, but I don't know we really like the house that we got So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Play it by
0: ear. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we really like the new place that we're looking at uh, or that we're going to be moving into. And it's like, it's in Parkland. It's like a nice school. It's like, it's a house we could grow into. And it's like, we could reasonably live there for for the next decade, you know, if we stay in uh, Lehigh Valley, you know? So it's just one of those like, yeah, it's a big question mark what happens after we finish residency. Do you know, um, I guess, like, what, uh, so, I mean, this is sort of a silly question, but, like, why are you looking forward to residency starting? Because a lot of people look at that with dread, you know? Like, they're like, oh, no, intern year. Like, well, why are you looking forward to that?
1: Uh, I don't know why people look at I mean, <laughs> so, I think, one, this is the nice thing about going into emergency medicine is I don't think, I, we don't necessarily have the crazy schedule mm. all the time that everybody else has. Uh, so, maybe that's part of it, um, but, you know, i this is what I this is, I I need to go through this to to learn, you know, I need to go through whatever I go through. I I I am not really dreading that whole I mean, it's a challenge, why I don't, I don't know why I don't know why people get so freaked out about it. Yeah.
0: With EM, it's sort of like um when I think about like uh, cuz I rode in college and high school on like like a crew team, and so it's like there is just like you need to put in a certain number of strokes just to get good at rowing. Like to be a decent rower, you need to put in like a uh, like couple hundred thousand strokes like on in a boat with, with, it doesn't matter with who, but just like in the boat just to get the sense of it. And if you like, EM is weird compared to other types of medicine in that, like, you just need to do a bunch of shifts. Like, you just yeah. need to put in your shifts and, yeah. like, see all that wacky shit come at you to really even have, like, a, a some level of, like, understanding what's coming at you, right? <laughs> to get
1: that muscle memory. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Definitely. Because even if you have the knowledge, there's a difference between, you know, being able to... <laughs> To sit there and think about it and having to apply it right that second
0: exactly yeah like versus like uh you know uh, medicine neurology like you can you can do a lot of reading and that will do you a lot of good when it comes but like there's you just need to see like enough of yep. this wacky stuff coming up yep. and like different wacky presentations of the same thing yeah yeah all right that's fair um good you ready to roll into this let's do it all right